Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor and as a professor and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. So on this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is Advice for Young Men and the Women Who Love Them. So today what we're going to do is offer some practical advice for young men who are searching for a mate, who are thinking about career choices and are trying to understand what a man is in the anti-man culture that we live in. And so, Aaron, you're a man. You can speak to these issues well. I think I am. (laughs) We're not going to go into definitions of manhood today. (laughs) But can you just tell us what you're seeing in culture that uh, prompts you to want to do this podcast? Yeah, well, based upon my unjustifiable, radical right-wing assumption that I'm a man, and based upon my assumption (laughs) that there is such a thing as objective masculinity... We're going to do a show on this topic. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the transgender issue, by the way. You know, Chris, I just have a, I just love seeing young Christian men grow into manhood, come to a clear understanding of what it means to be a man, feel comfortable in their own skin, flourish in their relationship with the Lord, flourish in their dating or engagement or marital life, flourish in their careers, flourish in their service in the church. I love to see that. And we're working really hard in our church as best as we can to build into the lives of our young men so that they can overcome some of the unique challenges that are present in our culture today. It was challenging back in the 80s and 90s when I was a teenager a young guy growing up and figuring out in the absence of having a father immediately present in my life, what it meant to be a man and how to mar- how to date, how to marry and all those sorts of things. But the cool thing was God always put me in churches. We moved a lot. I didn't just jump from church to church, but we moved a lot as a family. He always put men in my circle of influence that were, were godly men. They weren't perfect. No man is perfect except the Lord Jesus Christ. But he put godly men in my path that helped me to understand what it meant to be a man. And I'm so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. And I want to build into, I know you have a, a similar passion, even though you're almost a generation younger than me, but we want to build into the young men in our church to help them to become bold warriors for Christ. But So what I'm seeing in culture, so we have a, a lot of things sort of converging. We have young men, and I'm talking about good men in Christian churches that are frustrated because they claim to have a lack of marital options. Mm -hmm. We have young men, and again, I'm talking about good men who are pursuing education, sometimes with no goal or purpose in mind. It's almost like they're in school as a safe place to avoid making decisions about what Mm -hmm. they actually are going to, quote unquote, do with their lives. We have young men, and again, I want to emphasize good men that are caught up in sexual addiction. And these aren't the men that want to be in that. They want to be out of it, but they're, they, they, they think they're powerless and they're, they're caught up in all the vices of the world. And I want to challenge them and encourage them to pull out of those kinds of behaviors. We have young men, and again, good men, unsure what manhood is because society pounces on you as soon as you assert yourself as a man. You're labeled old school, traditional, 
I don't care about those terms. I talk about the creational man. What does it mean mm-hmm. to be a man as God designed us in the original creation? What is God's intention for manhood? Men and women are clearly different. There's no question about that. One of the first sociological realities we're confronted with in Genesis chapter two is that man was incomplete and he needed a wife and God created Eve and she was his ultimate satisfaction in this life. He was pretty excited when he met her. It's such a dangerous world. We we hear story after story of young men being destroyed all the time and the rocks of addiction being uh taken down by the woke agenda, a distant relative of mine is now broadcasting that their son is now a girl championing that. And I think I know a little bit about that family. There's never been a male figure, father figure really present in the home. They, they, they're not part of a Christian church anymore. They've bought into all the radical ideologies of the world. It's like, what do you expect? But it's still sad to see. Yeah. Our forebears would literally roll over in their graves if they were aware of some of the insane behavior that we're seeing from young men today. Young men pretending, and that's what it is, pretending to be girls because they're so dissatisfied and ignorant of what manhood actually is. Instead of embracing the God-given identity that has been bestowed upon them by God in their conception. They're trying to pretend to be someone they're not. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 morally wrong, but it's also incredibly sad yeah. to see young people throwing away their lives. These are decisions, even if you later repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've made some irreversible decisions with regard to your biology and your body and whatnot by going through surgery and taking chemicals. So that's just another example. The culture has babified, babyfied, I'll say, our men. I mean, all over the place, we have men walking around wearing their beards, you know, beards are back. So they they got their beards on, they're pumping iron at the gym and happy to put their social media pictures up of their latest workout at the gym, but they act like babies. Mm -hmm. Boys with beards. (laughs) Yeah, boys with beards, they're not married. Many of them aren't married. They still live in the proverbial basement. They haven't saved up a dime toward a down payment for a house. They don't know how to aptly pursue women. They're they're like big children, children in men's bodies. Now you compare that to, you know, years ago there was there was people fighting in World War One. Some of the soldiers in World War One were as young as twelve years of age. Wow. They lied about their age, but you got to be kind of manly esque to lie about your age when you're 12 and get through the recruitment officer's inspection, 14 year olds, 15 year olds, 16 year olds fighting in world war one. They didn't have their cell phones to call mommy. They bled and died in the trenches of France across Europe for the principles that they believed in. Now I also have addressed this podcast and the women who love them because I hope some young women will hear this and they will fan the flame. They will encourage. So if a man is pursuing them and she sees in him manly, godly, biblical characteristics, she should fan that flame and encourage that and let him know how much she appreciates that. I also want young women to maintain their standards. 
don't marry a baby male. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, marry a man who acts like a man. Make sure that you don't lower your standards if you're a young woman listening. If you're middle age or an older person, man or wo- man or woman, and you have an interest in the young men in our church, in your church, in our community, pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, disciple them. Together, we need to do. We need to put in a concerted effort to help our young men to grow up, to learn to initiate and lead well in a culture that is very, very dangerous, antagonistic. I'll just say venomous towards a biblical vision of manhood. We want to restore that without apology mm-hmm. and to the glory of God. That's great. And I think probably the guys listening to this that are leaning in right now are asking like, we want to, we, we recognize those deficits. Um, some of them may be living in the exact scenarios you, you mentioned yep. and they want different, uh, what are the steps? What are the advice? There's obviously hundreds of things we could talk about, but pick out a few that we can talk about strategic points of advice that would help these men. Sure. Okay. So the, let me just address the audience. So you might be listening, you're beyond the young man years. You're like, how is this relevant to me? I want you to take some of this, pass it on to the next generation, your sons, your grandsons, the young men in your church, the young men who will come to your church. If you're a young man, obviously I want you to, and you're doing really well, I want you just to assess. Hopefully a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast, it's not like something you've never thought about before, but I'm just putting words to your thoughts, helping Mm -hmm. you to articulate it. And you can take this and you can share it with the men that you're influencing, your peers and the like. And if you're a young man that just hasn't quite got there yet, I I am going to slap you around a little bit. I'm going to tell you that straight up. You're going to get a couple kicks in the pants in this podcast. My goal is not to shame you. My goal is not to send you to the room, sucking your thumb. I want to challenge you like a drill sergeant would when you're getting ready for war. I want to challenge you to up your game. Will you accept the challenge? So here's what we want to do. One of the most fundamental distinctives of manhood is initiative. Initiative. If you look at the creational record, God created Adam and he created Eve as his helpmate. Genesis chapter three, the serpent has a conversation with the woman And he convinces her through a series of questions to take the fruit that God had forbidden them to take. And it's a fascinating exchange to study there in Genesis chapter three. And then it says she took the fruit and she gave it to Adam who was with her. Adam who was with her. Well, Adam here, evidently, we could say his fundamental seminal sin was passivity. Mm -hmm. He should have said, this is wrong. I'm stepping in. I'm the spiritual leader. Take a hike, Satan. Take a hike, serpent. Buzz off. But instead, he allows his wife to be duped. He passively stands by. A couple episodes ago, we talked about weak men and the sin of Eden. Passivity is such a crippling temptation for so many men. Most men have a a mixture of, you know, a little bit of anger and courage, 
some humor, some seriousness, and then passivity, the Edenic sin. It's not worth having the conversation. She's going to be mad at me. It's not worth initiating the conversation, asking her out. She's going to say no. It's not worth disciplining the kids. It's just going to turn into, you know, a, a hellish storm here in our, our house. This, there's in every man, in the boldest man I know, the sin of passivity is lurking just below the surface. And there's so many excuses. There's laziness that stand in the way of men taking the lead. God has designed us to take the lead. He's designed us to protect our women, to protect our family. Even physically, we see this concept of initiative in this the sexual act. And I'm, I'm not meaning to be crass and crude, but I'm just going to say it. In the sexual act, the man is the initiator. The woman is the receiver. That's how God has designed us. There's nothing that needs to make us blush about that. Men initiate. Men initiate. This is part of our masculinity. We're supposed to initiate by pointing our families to Christ. We're supposed to provide for our families financially. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Paul instructed Timothy to tell the men of his church, a man that does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. Doesn't say a woman that does not provide for her own. It says a man who does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. So I, I want to encourage men to take the lead, to take the initiative. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and following, we have this beautiful, dramatic portrayal of the marital relationship against the backdrop of Christ's relationship with the church. Let me ask, who leads, Christ or the church? Clearly, Christ leads. Every Christian knows that. We don't lead Christ. Christ leads us. And when the man's job description is fundamentally given to him in, Gen in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, he is told to be like Christ, to love sacrificially his wife, but to lead her. He's the head of his wife. We're not bashful to say that. The male is the spiritual head of of his wife, mm -hmm. who lovingly, kindly, in a Christ-like way, leads his family, guards and protects his family. She respects his leadership. She submits to him, which, by the way, makes his job so much easier. Mm -hmm. And when he loves her, it makes her job so much easier because we all fight against the sin, the Edenic sin of Genesis 3.16, where man wants to crush his wife and she wants to usurp his authority. But in marriage, as we see the gospel portrayed, Christ lovingly leading his church, the church willfully submitting themselves to Christ. It's like now we know what marriage is supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. So we see that there as well. Yep. This is why egalitarianism, this idea that there's no distinction in roles in the church is so dangerous to the gospel itself. I don't think people understand that. I don't believe that most egalitarians are out there thinking, I want to destroy the gospel. But actually by failing by failing to maintain in the home and church, male loving sacrificial leadership over home and church, we actually are doing damage to the gospel. Jesus isn't my buddy. He's not my co-equal. Mm -hmm. He is my Lord and he is my, my King and my Savior. And he leads me. And in the same way men are called to lead their wives. And I know, you, I know that you already know that, Chris. Yep. And then, of course, we have First Timothy five eight. You know, we're we're called to be providers for our family. So these are all things that young men 
need to be thinking about. You need to be aware of this. If you're going to sign up for marriage, you need to be prepared to be a leader, not to be a wuss, not to be a coward, not to be lazy, but to actually lead. So what are the things, some of the things that hold young men back? Immaturity. They're never challenged to grow up. Sometimes they're coddled too much by their moms or allowed to be too passive by their dads. They're not disciplined. We need men to be mature. Laziness, an overabundance of time. It's, it's mildly hilarious, somewhat irritating, and a whole lot sad to see young Christian men, good men, who, who are getting into their 20s, sometimes their mid-20s, late 20s, and like, oh, I want to get a girl. I want to, I want to get married. I want to find a career. And it's like, dude, how many hours a week do you spend playing video games? How many hours a week do you spend at the gym? How many hours a week do you spend twiddling your thumbs or watching television? It's like you, you have an overabundance of time. When you're in your 20s, you should have almost zero time left in your schedule. Those are the, That's the phase of your life where you are pursuing all the education you need, not all the education you want, but all the education you need, where you're seeking to establish yourself financially so you can actually eventually afford a, an apartment and then later a, a home, where you're pursuing a woman, starting a family, getting involved in depth in the ministry of your church. You don't have time to be online with some guy in Korea playing video games. Uh, if more men took their video game systems out to the Herbie Kirby, threw them in the garbage can, we'd have a better world right there. Mm-hmm. Just wasting so much time. I can't find a girl. Because you act like a 13-year-old. What girl is going to want to marry a guy that spends all his time in a fantasy world playing video games with his buddies? Like, grow up. Act like a man. Get rid of your video game console. So here's what the world wants. The world wants you fat, lazy, and dependent. Mm-hmm. That's what they want. That's what Satan wants. Fat, lazy, and dependent. And when I say fat, I don't mean P-H-A-T. <laughs> I don't think anybody uses that anymore. You might be oh, showing okay. your age there. <laughs> okay, that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to be 50 next year, and I'm proud of it, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just maybe not that word. <laughs> So, look, to the young men out there, don't expect the girls to initiate the relationship. Mm -hmm. Don't expect the jobs to be presented to you. Mm -hmm. Don't expect holiness to be dropped in your lap. We need to pursue these things, and we're well-resourced to do that. Mm -hmm. So, I want to encourage young men to be strategic about the decisions they make. Actually make decisions strategically organize your life so that you are spending time pursuing a career. And if you're into a career already, don't be lazy. Be the first guy to show up to work and the last guy to leave. Mm -hmm. Be the hardest working employee on the floor or in the office. Distinguish yourself. These are your seminal years where you're going to build. Meaningfully, not as some desperado, but meaningfully be in pursuit of marriage, unless the Lord has called you to celibacy and there's going to be a small fraction that that are. But if God has called you to marriage and most will be, you should always be pursuing a relationship. And this means this means when you go to church, you actually have to have a conversation with girls. <laughs> Might be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I disciple men every every year and 
it's it's I'm not, I'm not naming names, but there it's just a general rule that what I've noticed is the guys that have the hardest time finding girls. I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch in church. They never talk to girls mm -hmm. very rarely. By the way, if you're a young girl, my wife and I were talking about this and you're at church and you're always tied to the hip to another small group of girls. Don't expect most guys to feel comfortable entering into that circle. Mm -hmm. So if you're a young girl, you don't need to be the initiator but you shouldn't be surrounded by a bunch of bodyguards all the time. Right. It's like, oftentimes you have girls that do that. They're, there's like, they're little cliques. There's two or three of them. They're always together. I laugh now because my wife was actually guilty of that when I was pursuing her in Bible college. I'd look over, I'm like, I want to talk to her, but she's always with the same people. Yeah. Like I just wanted to kind of separate her from the group for a little bit so I could say hello and have a conversation. I don't want people eavesdropping and listening into our conversation. So it's important for People just to think about the practicalities of these decisions. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we want men to initiate, to show strong leadership. So, so I have two daughters and three sons, and one of my daughters is married and is expecting our first grandchild, which is super cool. And then my other daughter uh, is not dating yet. And um, But I, I, I've given them advice. So if, I said, if you're looking for a guy, okay, don't just... Don't, don't even think about looking for the guy that's just, you know, the, the hunk in the room. If that guy doesn't love Jesus Christ more than he, he loves you, he'll never really love you. Yep. So I want young men that are already serving and showing ministry potential to uh, date, mm -hmm. you know, potentially date in the future. My, my daughter in the past, my two daughters, yeah. really, really important that men show initiative mm -hmm. in this regard. So passive guys, stopping passive or you're going to remain single for a long, long time, or you're going to get married and be not very good at it and cause problems for your wife or future generations of children. So take initiative. Mm -hmm. Really, really important. Take initiative. That's a critical principle. Yeah. As you say that, what comes to my mind, and I think you talked about the, you know, the the reason that, that holds this back. There's some immaturity, some laziness. There's also huge fear because when you take initiative, you fail. There will be times of failure. There always is. And so maybe you can speak just a moment about failure. The guys that have, you know, stepped their foot out there, got shot down and now feel like I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I remember when I had dated a girl, um, when I was 18 or 19 maybe, and we broke up and I was, and then I kind of dated another girl and we broke up and then I was like, I'm not dating girls. And I was kind of speaking negative and, and I was actually serving one night at, um, a uh, soup kitchen in uh, in London, Ontario. And there was an older guy there. He's probably 70. And he's like, oh, hey. And he's chatting with us. Are you guys dating? That probably came up in conversation. I'm not exactly sure how the conversation unfolded. But at one point, I had said something to him about, you know, I, I was really hurt in a relationship. And I remember him saying to me, to the effect of, I'll get over it, lick your wounds and kind of grow up and you'll learn from it and, you know, move forward and pursue another girl. And I'll be straight with you. At that moment, I found that very offensive because I didn't think he was sensitive to the, the little bit of a raw wound that I still had. But in hindsight, he was right. I needed to hear that. An older man, mm -hmm. 50 years older than me at the time saying, basically, Aaron, stop sucking on your thumb. Mm-hmm move forward. So I would say 
to young men that are afraid, stop being afraid. Grow up. Part of being a man is tackling the issues of life head on. And does that mean we're going to take some heat? Yes, but that's that's part of life. Part of life is having those difficult, sometimes intimidating, stressful conversations with your wife, with your teenage child, with your employees, with your employer, with your pastor, with your elders, with other people in the church. That's life. The Bible says this, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Iron is not sharpened by being rubbed against a soft Kleenex. Mm-hmm. Iron is sharpened when it is struck against something equally sharp and the sparks fly and that sharpens it. So in life, pain, difficulty, challenge is one of the things that shapes us. It's like you're working out at the gym and you're pulling that barbell in and the muscle fibers are tearing. There has to be stress on your muscles Mm-hmm. in order to build them. A person with a cast on is going to experience muscle atrophy. You know, you break your arm, you put the cast on, you take the cast off six weeks later and your arm's all skinny because your muscles aren't being used. So instead of being afraid of fear, mm-hmm. <laughs> learn to see f- the things of life that make us uncomfortable. It's, it's okay to be afraid of certain things, but don't let that cripple you. Mm-hmm. Help use it to 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 move you forward and to motivate you. And on the other side of it, you'll you'll experience a measure of satisfaction because you did you did you took the the hard uh, route, and God will bless you for that. Mm-hmm. It's good. Don't let fear it's hold good. you back. It's really good. So, what would be another piece of advice that you would give a young man wanting to, you know, take the next steps? Yeah. Well, so one of the pieces of advice that I like to park on when I'm discipling my discipleship groups every year is, uh, and I'll just say it this way. If you haven't already grow up. So what is a man? I would, I, I want to see young men act their age or older. And you know what? If you act your age or older, then you'll actually be acting your age. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, we have delayed maturity and manhood so much in our culture. Back to the illustration, you had boys that are 12 and 14 years old fighting in France and World War One, mm-hmm. And we have some young men today that are 24, 25, still working part-time jobs and then spending the rest of the day in their parents' basement play, playing video games, having their mom cook them their meals and do their laundry. And these men are the ones that are going to eventually sire the future generation of humanity. Like this is a scary thought. Men need to grow up. So here's, here's my rule. When I was uh, raising my three sons, they're all adults now. They're respectively uh, 24, uh, 21, and 19. And I said to them, sons, when, when you're 18, you are a full-blown man. Living in my house is now a privilege. I don't owe it to you. I don't owe you clothing. I don't owe you food. I don't owe you an education. You are old enough to be married. You're old enough to work. You're old enough to pay your way through school. Now, if I choose to help you, and we have helped our kids by, you know, permitting you to stay in the house a little bit longer, 
or to help you with schooling or whatever we choose to help you with a car or whatever, that's, that's a bonus. Mm -hmm. That's a benefit, but don't expect that from me. You're 18. You're a man. Well, some people might think that's kind of extreme, you know, 18, that's, that's pretty young. No, it's not. You're in, when you're 18, you're an adult. Mm -hmm. And what, what happens is if you instill this in boys when they're young, you know what they do? They actually lean into it. They pursue it. They like that. Little boys, you might think want to be coddled, but they actually want to be acknowledged. That's why if you see a little boy, you don't say, oh, you're a little boy. Mm -hmm. You say, man, you're a big boy. Wow. You've grown a lot. Yeah. Like boys want to grow up and they lean into it. Now, the, the challenge to that is they, they do grow up fast, right? And so sometimes even as a dad, because I have a soft heart for my sons, I'm like, man, they, that, that happened awfully fast. I mm -hmm. kind of wish they were around a little bit more. But as I've released them into life, they, they lean into it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, I'm not saying this to brag at all, but most people look at my sons are like, oh, I didn't realize you're so young. Like they, they act older than their age, but really they're not acting older than their age. You're acting the age they should be acting. They're acting how people should be acting. Yeah. Because if older you, than the median. Yeah. If right? you compare them to, to what's going on in culture, they're, they, they seem older, but that should be normal. Mm -hmm. Like that should be normal. Like you should, people should look at you as 18 and say, oh, I, I would trust this guy to work for me. Or I would trust this guy to marry my daughter. I, I assume he has his own bank account and actually manages his own funds. Right. So equipping and encouraging men to be men from, I, I would say around the, the age of 15, boys should start acting like men. And then they sort of go through their three-year apprenticeship. So by the time they're 18, they're actually ready to go. 18 year old men, unless there's some um, mental disability or some severe life altering event, every 18 year old man in our Christian churches should be ready to marry, should be ready to work full time, should be ready to manage his own property, have his own bank account and court a woman, period. Mm -hmm. Why is this not normal? So it seems so abnormal. It's not normal in other cultures. If you look at Mennonite cultures, for example, this is normal. The boys mm -hmm. go to young, they go to work early, they grow up, they have children young. They're, they're, they're mature men. This is how historic societies have done it. It's only in this weird, modern, Western context in Western European nations and Canada, the U.S., that we have this delay that goes on for years and years and years where you got guys that are 25, 26, 27, and they're still not marryable yet. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. And you know what I've seen too, Chris? I've seen parents that have encouraged this kind of immaturity suddenly get to a point where they're disappointed in their own sons because it's almost like the ship has sailed. Yep. The girls are married off. No one trusts, no one wants to hire you because you've not proven yourself to be hireable. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. And now they're disappointed in their own, their own children. So uh, to the young men listening, no one owes you anything, gentlemen. You, you, you need to, to steward the opportunities that God has given to you. If you're, if you're going to, here's a piece of advice. If you want to date, if you want to get married, okay, this is, this is going to be super radical, Chris, you ready for this? If you want to get married, you're generally going to date or court first. Okay. That's assumed before you start dating, act like a marriable man. Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it blows my mind. Really? 
What's the purpose of dating? To get married. So you're telling me that if I'm going to date in order to get married, I should actually act like a marriable man before I start dating? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you should. Mm-hmm. What I see, though, is it's the parents that have the most immature kids that let them date the youngest. Oh, yeah, my kid's 13 or 14. He's got a little girlfriend. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Your son should not have a girlfriend or boyfriend before they're ready to get married. So one of the rules we said to our kids, you can date at the age of 17. Why? Because theoretically, you can get married at 18. And that's one year ramping up to it. Now, if you're planning on graduating from high school at 18, going to school for six years, why are you dating before you're ready to get married? You should still be acting like a marriable man. You're just putting yourself in a a place of sexual temptation and danger and delaying. So there's that whole conversation to be had. But when I say act like you're a married man before you start dating, what I mean is you should be showing signs of godliness, loyalty, be committed to pursuing purity, be accountable for your purity, be serving in your church. And if you're looking around at the other men or your peers, for examples, you're not going to find too many. You're going to find them hopefully in godly churches. Um, But if you're looking to scripture, it doesn't matter whether you grew up in a broken home. That's not an excuse. It doesn't matter whether you grew up on the other side of the proverbial railroad tracks. That's not an excuse. When you look to scripture, you can figure it out. What, What does it mean to be a godly man? What are the characteristics of a godly man? And guys, once again, Act like a married man before you start dating. Mm-hmm. Really, really important. One, yes, 100%. And I think you just hit on a ton of things that are very, very helpful. Um, so one of them that you brought up, uh, you were mentioning finances. I know this is a, a critical area that people need to get under control. So maybe chat about that a bit. Yeah. Well, stewardship is pretty important. Now, money, of course, is the root of all kinds of evil, but money also is a, we see money as a stewardship from God. So God will grant different people, different, a different stewardship at different points in their lives. And men are called to provide, to be the primary providers for their family. I I don't believe that men must be the only makers of income that men necessarily have to work outside the home and women are consigned to working in the home. I don't believe that. I don't believe that because I've read Proverbs 31 and the Proverbs 31 woman was involved in commerce, in culture. And she is the you know prototype godly woman, but she's involved in commerce. She's out buying and selling. So it's totally fine for women to have home-based business, to have careers in, in society. I would warn women against having full-time careers in society if you have young children. I think that's just a common sense thing that it's a wise stewardship to invest your time, talents, your treasures primarily in your children, especially when they're, when they're, when they're young. If your children eventually are involved in a classical educational academy, like the one we're starting or a, a Christian school in your area. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're out of the house from nine to three or whatever, and you have opportunity to work and provide some extra money for the family. That's totally fine. I'm not, I'm not of the mindset that men need to get in the car every morning and salute their kids and drive 50 miles or 50 kilometers to work. And women have to stay in the house their entire life. I don't believe that. I don't think that's biblical. I think that's sort of a Victorian era idea that has been imposed upon 
Christian women. So I'm not opposed to women having careers. There are many women that have contributed very meaningfully to the economy, the home, and whatever. But I do believe it's the man's responsibility to take responsibility to be the primary provider. It doesn't even mean that his income has to necessarily be as high as hers. But, you know, you you may be a um, tradesman and she's a physician or something and makes more money. Fine, whatever. But you are, as a man, you need to be prepared to be the primary provider. And the most the most basic reason for that is 100% of men are incapable of having children. <laughs> and many women are capable of having children. So you need to be prepared for that. If you're married, there's a high likelihood that at some point, your wife is going to have children and children are a blessing from the Lord. And we're thankful for that. But if your wife's having children, it's going to be pretty difficult to be out there earning the income for your family. So men need to be prepared for that and take responsibility for the financial stewardship to be the, the, the critical primary providers for the relationship long-term. It doesn't mean there's going to be, there might be a six month window where you're, uh, the guy's laid off and the woman's working, or there might be three years when you're, you're both working full time and then you have kids. Okay. I understand all that, but primarily over the long haul, there's going to be fewer distractions for men to work and to provide than there are for women. And when I say distractions, I'm not using that in a negative way. So, um, if you're, if you're a young guy and you're blowing your money at the movies on Tuesday nights and you're out having wings and beer with your buddies every single Friday and you're buying your souped up Mustang five liter because you've always wanted one and you know, you're, you're, you're online gaming or online poker or whatever it might be, you're eating out all the time and you have no money left. You're not exactly marketing yourself particularly well. Mm-hmm. So before, here's a, here's a genius idea. Before you start dating, I said, you need to act like a marriable man. So if you're going to act like a marriable man, you need to act like a married man with your money. Mm-hmm. That means once you're through your education, you should be tithing. Mm-hmm. You should be saving and you should be appropriately spending your money so that your wife has that confidence mm-hmm. Cause she's more vulnerable than you are. She could get pregnant on your honeymoon with triplets. You need to be <laughs> pray that doesn't happen. <laughs> wow. What a start. With quadruplets. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, it could happen. Yeah. So you need to set your life up in such a way that you have the capacity to provide for mm-hmm. your family. That's your job. Mm-hmm. And it's an exciting thing. And it's satisfying to be able to work hard and to be able to provide for your family. Mm-hmm. Now, housing, because uh, you talk about finance, the first thing that pops into my mind, because we're going to talk about what dating, courting a woman well looks like in a moment, but, uh, before we get there, does somebody need to have a house before they can date or court? And, and like, that may not even be possible in this culture anymore. No, but you have to have the capacity to provide living space for your household. When I say household, I mean, at least a couple, we generally talk about a family as a couple with at least one kid, but I just use the broader term. A household is a single person living on their own or a couple or a family. And you need to be able to provide for your household. So whether that is renting a small apartment, 
or purchasing a house. You don't have to, I think young people today are sometimes unrealistic. Most people aren't able to afford a house until they're bare minimum in their mid twenties. And in this market, more likely in their late twenties, maybe early thirties, that's fine. You can rent and save up and you know, make sure that you're strategically organizing your life in such a way that you have that option available to you. Of course, there's some people that never really want to buy a house. That's fine. I'm not sure why you wouldn't. It's it's good to be able to provide a, provide equity for your future generations, but that's up to you. Um, but being able to, I mean, obviously you don't want to say, hey, will you marry me? Oh, where are we going to be living? Oh, well, my parents have a tent in the backyard. <laughs> no. Um, or you know, well, I, I, I'm just going to stay in my own bedroom in my parents' house. No, I mean, minimally you have to have some sort of access to an apartment. And if, if it's a house, that's fine too. But most people aren't going to get married already having owned a house. And when you come together, by the way, if you've spent a little bit of time living outside of your parents' house before you're married and you're kind of used to, maybe both of you are used to paying rent, let's say, well, now you get to live together and share some of those expenses. You may be, even be able to save up for a house quicker, but that's just you know, a little side observation. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Well, tell me and tell our listeners, how do you date slash court a woman? Well, yeah, I, I love, uh, I, I love watching young love and relationships sort of unfold, not unravel, but <laughs> yeah, unfold. <exactly. laughs> and I, I think back to my dating years and how I, I just didn't really know what I was doing. I sort of had to discern my way through those, that phase of life. And I've learned a lot from that. And I've learned a lot from counseling and teaching and dis discipling young men. And when I talk about this subject to young men, I, their, their chins go up and they, they lean in because a lot of young men do want to know, and this is good advice for young women too, that are listening in. How does that all work? Like, what are some basic principles or rules or guidelines to date court. So I would say, I'll give you a few thoughts. Number one, I'll repeat it. Make sure you're acting like a marriable man before you even dare to ask a woman. If you haven't got a grip on sexual purity, spare the women in your church, the headache and heartache. If you don't have a grip on your money, okay, these are things you have control over. If you don't have a grip on your money, even if you're not in a high income mm -hmm. earning job, just steward your money properly. Don't bother pursuing. If you don't have, if you don't have the willingness to take initiative, don't bother. Work on those things first. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you've, if you're a little late to the game, so to speak, and you're maybe a newer Christian and you're just learning this stuff now, no problem, no judgment, learn these things, watch the godly men in your church who are married well, put these things into practice and pursue them. But let's suppose you're at a point in your life where, you know, you're seeking hard after the Lord, you're accountable with your money, your sexuality, your time, your talents, your treasures. And there's girls in your church. By the way, if you're going to a church where there's zero girls, obviously it's going to be kind of difficult. But at the same time, I do find it a little interesting when I hear young people at times, even in our own church say, oh, there's no guys or girls. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's over a hundred young people in our church that are single that are kind of in that category. Like, well, 
what are you talking about? Yeah. There's more opportunities here than, than a lot of people have in their entire villages, you know, in different parts of the world. <laughs> So another reason, another reason to move to Windsor, Essex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Build the beachhead yeah, that yeah. way. <laughs> Build the beachhead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're gonna um, we're gonna take over either by um, evangelism or reproduction. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but so b- prayerfully seeking the Lord and and asking the Lord to actually put on your radar, so to speak, the 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 young women in your church that that are godly women there's there's probably many many if i'm guessing there's many many more than you think mm-hmm. people i'm not opposed to this online stuff although i think there's some dangers to it but people often overlook the other singles in their own church they go online and then all the other singles in their church are online too so everyone's online but they're right in front of you and it's just it's it's so much nicer more organic to find those relationships through conversations and observing the, you're going to know a lot of lot more about a person you've observed in the life of your church and talked to in the foyer than, than going online. Again, I'm not dissing those of you that have met your spouses online. If it's working well, that's great. Um, but a few things. So first of all, when I, sometimes men will ask me, okay, if I'm going to ask a girl out, should I ask her dad? And I'm like, thank you for asking that question. So I don't think there's anything wrong with having a coffee with a girl in a public place once, maybe twice, walking down the street, going for a bike ride a couple times. Okay. That pre-dating period where you're just sort of getting to know, you're not even sure if you really want to date, but you're sort of just getting to know the other person. And then if you're going to ask her, to date more permanently. If there's a father figure in her life, even if he's not a Christian, go and ask him for his blessing to date his daughter. This is huge. This shows you're acknowledging, okay, this is really important. You're acknowledging to her that you affirm male leadership Hmm. by affirming her dad's male fatherly leadership over her. Hmm. So you're actually benefiting yourself long-term, but you're also blessing him. He may be like, what are you talking about? No one's ever asked me this before. It doesn't matter what his response is. You ask for his blessing. If he says, look, buddy, take a hike. Well, if you have opportunity to ask why, if it's because I don't want you dating my daughter, nobody dates my daughter, you're not a Christian. Well, then you get some problems and you're going to have to consult other men to figure out how to work your way through that. But he may legitimately see things in you that he does not think is going to be healthy for his daughter. And that's his prerogative. So if some guy came to me and said, Hey, I want to date your daughter. And I was like, dude, like, I just, I'm not comfortable with this. You know, you, you don't seem to have your, your head screwed on. You're, you're not stewarding your money or whatever, whatever the issue might be, or I need to get to know you better. Or, you know, you dated five other girls last week. And then I have, I have the prerogative to, to do that. And I should be honored in that regard. So that's important for guys to, to earlier on, ask for the blessing of the father. I will also say this, this is going to spill over into marriage. Sometimes when marriage is symbolic. So the fact that a woman often walks down the aisle, she's brought down the aisle by her dad. I always get a little turned off when a woman's brought down the aisle by her mom and dad, or when you're going to ask who gives this woman to be married to this man. And it's like, well, her mother and I do. No, don't say that. It's I do. I'm the man. 
I've been her spiritual head. I'm passing her off to you. We're not walking the groom down the aisle to be presented to his bride. Think of the symbolism in that. Mm -hmm. We're walking the bride down to be presented to the groom. She's being given away. Mm -hmm. So in that act, which is interestingly is often even in secular weddings, haven't thought through the symbolism of it. The father is coming down the aisle as the spiritual caregiver and provider of that young woman and he's being asked by the by the pastor, do you give your blessing upon? Do you give this woman to be married to this man? And he says, I do, not we do. Mm-hmm. Okay, not we do. That's egalitarian. That's not a complementarian response. He gives his daughter to the man, and that man agrees to now, according to Ephesians 5, lovingly lead that woman. That's really important. So early in the dating relationship, you're hinting at your affirmation of that biblical principle of male headship over the phone or, or uh, over the, over the I'm home, not sure why no. I said over the phone, over, over the, the home, the, over the home. Yeah. Is there an age limit on that? Like, let's say there's a couple in their forties and the, the woman's been single her whole life. Like is a 40 year old man asking a 40 year old woman's father? Well, if she's living at his home, definitely. Um, but if she's, if she's living on her own, so there's, there's times when a woman doesn't have a relationship with her dad. He abused her. He walked out on her. Okay, fine. That's sad, but that's the reality. And you know, he has no business affirming that, but I think it's also a good idea for, for people who are older. Like what's the difference between a 22 year old doing it and a 42 year old doing it? It's, I think it's still a good thing and a biblical thing to affirm an official release of the a woman from the headship and spiritual leadership mm-hmm. of her dad to her husband. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, okay. So some guys, some guys are maybe riddled with some social quirks and that doesn't mean they're not marriable, but there are some men that aren't as socially aware as they should or could be. And you may not know it because generally when you're not socially aware, you're not necessarily aware that you're not socially aware. But I think it's good no matter where you're at in that spectrum of social awareness for young men that are thinking about dating to, to find three good friends, three good buddies that will be blunt with you and say, hey, brother, what are some some quirks that you see in me that might be a problem if I start dating? Now, the, your buddy might say, I don't know. Or I'd have to think about that. Give me a few days. Or they might say, oh, I, I know exactly. You got bad breath all the time, bro. Mm-hmm. Or you dress like a slob. Or your little prepubescent mustache has to come off. By the way, if a guy ever comes to my house and asks for my daughter's hand in marriage with a prepubescent mustache, the answer is capital N, capital O. Shave the stash. <laughs> <laughs> and then come back. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so it's. Some guys, I I know some, and I'm saying that because I know some very, very, very good men. They're godly men, but I'm like, man, someone needs to tell you your style of dress is weird. Mm-hmm. Or you have this quirky mannerisms that are, I mean, you're a good man. I mean, I love you and I know you love Christ and you're good with your money and your initiator, but if you could just overcome that one socially awkward yeah. quirk. So I would say to guys, instead of waiting for people to awkwardly come to you, ask around before you start dating. That's can only be a blessing to you to be told, yeah, this is, you know, this is not, not cool. This is probably not going to work 
very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, girls are very sensitive to things like hygiene. Guys aren't as naturally sensitive. Obviously, there's many exceptions to the rule. Yep. But those are things that are helpful. When you're in the relationship, make sure that you're having meaningful discussions. So every day you should have, be having meaningful discussions. I don't mean intense, like heavy-handed discussions about every single thing that crosses your mind. Um, I, I heard of a guy once that uh, on the first date, he'd ask a girl, are you prepared to have, and he'd name a number, X number of kids. It's like, and he'd tell me that. I'm like, buddy, you don't drop that. Can you have X number of kids question on date number one? I mean, women are incredibly sensitive to fertility issues. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're putting all this pressure on this woman. Can you, can you bear me six, 10, 12, 15 kids? Like mm-hmm. what kind of thing is that? Women are incredibly sensitive, but if she can't have kids, what if she, she hasn't thought about that? What if she feels that you're almost using her as some reproductive machine? Like, come on, like you want to have conversations about, do you believe in large families? You know, where do you see yourself? Are you, are you interested in missionary work or whatever things are near and dear to your heart? But, but exercise some common sense and sensitivity. If you have sisters, you know, run, run some of these questions by them first. Or if you don't have sisters, maybe ask some godly trusted women in the church. Oh, by the way, if there are young men, I told, I told this to some of the young guys this past year in my um, discipleship group, I said, if you are interested in a girl, let's say in your church, and you want sort of the inside scoop on that girl, or you want to be presented positively to her, be strategic and make sure you're developing meaningful, respectful relationships with some of the older women in the church that are like your mom's age. Mm-hmm. And the, what I mean by that is, so I'll, I'll use this example. So my wife, Susie, is uh, you know, a couple years younger than me, basically in my age category. And she is old enough to be the mother of most of the young guys I directly disciple. So I've said to them, look, if you're thinking about dating a particular girl, I can tell you straight up, my wife would be very open to talking to you about that. So just walk up to her at church, say, Mrs. Rock or Susie, what do you think? I, I'm, I'm interested in this particular girl do you think she's a godly woman? Hmm. And that in and of itself, (laughs) this might sound uh, funny for people to hear, will score you huge points in the middle-aged woman category of your church who love to see the young people meet and get married. That will tell her that you are one of the initiators, one of the godly young thoughtful men in your church that actually seeks counsel chances are she's going to also go and speak well of you to the younger women in the church. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's if now if you have a, a mother in your life, you know, you're probably gonna have those conversations with her, but don't be afraid of consulting the older women in your church to sort of help you enter into those uh, dating years. So those are some things that I think are critical, like, getting your friends to assess you so there's not quirks that you're unaware of, making sure that you are asking her father early on. And then I would also say, once you start dating right away, you need to discuss sexual boundaries. It's really important not to assume that you're all going to live pure. I, I say to my guys, when 
When you start dating a girl, the conversation, so you've talked to her daddy, said yes, you've decided you're going to date her court. Have a conversation with her that goes something like this. Now, I'll, I'll just use my wife's name as an example. Now, Susie, I, I just want to let you know that I'm really excited about the opportunity to to court you. And, um, you know, I, I just want to tell you, I want to, I want to honor you. I want to be a blessing to you. I, I know we're not perfect, but I want to let you know that I'm super committed to purity. And I just want to let you know, I know this is a little awkward. It might be a little weird, but I think it's better for us to just say it. Um, we're not going to be engaged in any sort of sexual uh, misconduct as a couple. So we're not going to be, we're not going to be deep kissing. We're not going to be making out. We're not going to be watching movies in the basement under a blanket. We're not going to be parking our car in some park late at night to read the Bible together. If you know what I mean, <laughs> we're not going to be doing these things. Um, we're going to, we're going to honor one another. We're not going to do anything that even drifts into the realm of foreplay. We're not going to put ourselves in positions of compromise and we're not going to put ourselves in positions where people might think we're compromising. So anything that stimulates us sexually is out of bounds. Mm -hmm. And I just want to let you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to honor you. Well, that's going to be a huge blessing for that woman to hear. And that comes from you. And if you're not man enough to say that, you're not ready to date yet. Hmm. And what that does is that when you verbalize it, like you just put it out there, now you both know there's no guessing games yeah. when you've crossed the line. Yeah. Right? It's good. That's so really good. I found that that's uh, really helpful advice for young people and they're, they're blessed by it. More and more, this is good. More and more, I'm I'm doing marriages for couples that either haven't kissed ever until they're standing at the altar, or if they've given each other a little kiss, it's a quick kiss and nothing more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's wonderful. That's yeah. the way it should be, where they're treating each other, you know, in a certain sense as brothers and sisters in terms of sexuality until they're married. And then they become husband and wife. And we need to restore that because we live in such a sex-saturated culture. Yep. It's very dangerous not to establish those boundaries early on. So I want to beseech, beg, encourage the young people that are listening to this. Be ruthless with yourself in the area of your sexual purity. Mm -hmm. You will never regret it after mm -hmm. you're married. You 100%. don't need to try each other out in advance. You don't need to experiment in advance. You don't need to dabble in marital sex in advance. You set your standards high. And you know what that will do? If you can trust one another and you've proven that you've trusted one another while you're dating, that's going to significantly heighten the trust that you're going to have for one another in your marital sexual life. Mm -hmm. It's couples that have messed around in their dating life that, diminish their trust as married couples because you know that person's character. You know they cross the line over and over again. So you're wondering, I wonder if they're going to cross the line at work or with the, their coworker. Yep. So they shoot themselves in the foot long term. And this is where God's laws and God's principles are always protective and they're a huge blessing mm -hmm. to us when we obey them. Mm -hmm. One, one uh, final question I have for you. All the things we've suggested, we know are countercultural. It's going to set men apart. We've talked in the show before, I think you wrote an article a long time ago about tall poppy syndrome and how as soon as you start to 
show signs of being like different than the culture, you get chopped off, cut off because everybody kind of wants to lower it so that everybody's at the same level. Just speak to the, to the men that, you know, they want to do this, but they're afraid of sticking out like a sore thumb, thumb in <laughs> some ways or right? a tall poppy. Yeah. Well, holiness is unpopular in the broader culture. And sadly, it can even get you into pro- problems with some fellow Christians. As soon as you say, I'm absolutely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ as best as I can. I want to honor him. Like, well, who do you think you are? You're better than us. It doesn't matter. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all a ploy from the devil. It's, 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 we don't, we don't try to stand out to gain some sort of notoriety because that can be self-serving. So our, if our holiness, it's like in prayer, there's nothing wrong with public prayer, but Jesus warns those that pray in the street corner in order to gain the, the applause of other men, that that's the limit of their reward. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no reward beyond that because you didn't do it for the right reason. So we don't, we don't walk around as, you know, arrogant, you know, pompous braggarts. Hey, do you know what? I have never kissed my girlfriend. <laughs> or, you know, I, I read my Bible every day. Do you, you know, it's not that kind of an arrogance, but people will, people will catch on. And when you're communicating it, it's important to, you know, communicate to your own failures. So I can tell you a lot of the advice that I give to younger people, I didn't practice in full in my dating years. Mm-hmm. I was ignorant. I wasn't uh, as mature as I should have been. So I can speak to younger people out of both my victories and my failures. Good. And instead of being concerned about what other people think, ultimately, if, if it starts with fundamentally a passion to honor Christ in your relationships. How can you go wrong on that? And if out of that, you have a passion then to obey the words, the laws, the principles of scripture, and you actually believe that God is not a cosmic killjoy, but a benevolent, loving God whose rules always lift and redeem and bless, then you will do, say, act like Christ wants you to, and and it will only benefit and bless your relationships. Like, have you ever met a Christian that said, I obeyed Jesus, wow, what a mistake that was? Mm. Never. It's those that have lived in sin, it's like, why, why was I so unforgiving? Or why was I so lustful? Or why was I such a gossip? I wish I wasn't those things anymore. We always regret sin and we never regret righteousness mm-hmm. if it's properly motivated. So um, we also rub off on others. So when you create a culture in your church where suddenly 10% of the couples are committed to purity and the others are watching them, well, then then there might be 20%, then 30, then 40, and then 50. And the, the way we date and the way we conduct ourselves as men, it rubs off and you start, this is where you create culture. Mm-hmm. by creating standards and principles that are normal, that are normalized in a particular group of people. I want, I want people to come to our church and say, it's normal for men to spiritually lead their marriages. It's normal for men to commit themselves to purity. It's tough, but it's normal. Yep. 
it's normal for women to want men that will actually spiritually lead them. That's normal. We want to champion that. And there's obviously many messages that can be given to young women as well. But the one I want to, just the fundamental one I want to deliver to, to young women that might be listening is when you see young men doing what's right, applaud them. Now, you might be want to be careful applauding them publicly if you don't like them and they like you because you might be giving them the wrong signals. <laughs> but maybe applaud them to your friends. Exactly. Maybe you think they would make a good mate. So champion yeah. them, encourage them. and uh, But ladies, don't feel any responsibility to initiate. Let the men do that. And if they won't initiate, they're going to stay single. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, don't be afraid of pursuing careers, young ladies, but expect that the man is going to be the primary provider over time, mm-hmm. you know, when school's done and all that of his relationship. And uh, don't, don't marry the immature ones, make them, make them, um, uh, you know, continue their immaturity until they change. I guess right, I yeah. could say it that way. Like they, it's just, we don't, we don't want to lower the bar, I guess is what I want to get at. We don't want to reduce our standards because, well, all the guys are immature. Yeah. No, applaud the ones that are mature and others will step up to the plate. Yeah, good. Good word. Well, thank you, Aaron, for that uh, that this episode and the, the advice you've been able to give. And I know you've given that advice in person to many of our discipleship groups over the years, but uh, having it in this format, I think is going to have a, the ability to reach more young men and hopefully be a blessing to them. Uh, just a reminder to our listeners as we conclude here that you can hear this podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network's uh, app. So please download that app from their website. Make sure you tune in there and subscribe to not only this podcast, but also some of the other great podcasts like the Ezra Institute's uh, podcast for cultural reformation, the Rebel Network podcast, some other great ones out there that you want to tune into. Also, you can hear us on the CJXC radio, Canada's constant Christian companion, both at 11 a.m. on Tuesdays and rebroadcast at 11 p.m. Thursdays. Tune in next week. We hope you'll uh, be there and able to enjoy another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.